what's up everybody? Welcome to the Hot Shot Wake Up. This is your weekly wildfire update. There's plenty of news to talk about, lots going on, but there isn't a lot of wildfire activity in the United States. In Canada, sure, there's still a lot of stuff going on. The Northwest Territories way up, touching the Arctic. Their fire season just started. And Quebec had a bunch of new starts. Alberta, British Columbia, they're saying is going to really have a wildfire season here maybe in the next couple weeks. We'll see if that turns out. But the United States has been slow. There are a couple fires in Arizona being managed, fires in New Mexico being managed, and a couple spattering of fires here and there. Real small ones in California. You know, there's still a foot of snow on the Mirror Lake Highway in Utah. And at this point in time, usually you're doing prescribed burns up there and they still have feet of snow in their woods up there. So we're just waiting things to warm up a little bit and dry out. Of course, in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan, you are seeing those drier, warmer temperatures. They have started pre-positioning some crews and aerial resources in places like Ely, Minnesota, Grand Marais, parts of the Upper Peninsula. The Ruby Mountain hotshots and the Lone Peak hotshots have traveled across the country from the Great Basin uh, to these northern states to look in on that. Oregon and Washington have had a spattering of fires as well. Nothing big, couple hundred acres here and there. But if you look at the drought maps that are going around and are being presented by NOAA, you will notice that parts of northern Idaho and central-ish Oregon and Washington still have some drought. Of course, there has been some little bits of precipitation here and there, but that is the place to watch. If you're looking for those campaign fires or anything else to start kicking off, I did realize I wrote an article yesterday on the Substack dealing with this fire. It's called the Pass Fire in New Mexico. And uh, note to self, uh, don't talk about the Pass Fire. <laughs> don't talk about the Pass Fire. Uh, not a lot of people, but definitely people who are involved uh, would just prefer that I let that one be, it seems. And uh, But it does also seem that not a lot of people had heard of this fire. It's basically the largest fire in the United States, uh, currently 18,000 acres-ish, and with a box anywhere between 75,000. There are some people saying as large as 100,000, but they are, you know, they're putting some fire on the ground and letting this thing creep around. The whole point of the article was that it's doing good. Like it's a good fire and we should talk about it. That's, that's the whole point of the article. Most of the people who were upset that I brought it up, um, obviously didn't even read the article because basically I just say what the fire is and that it's doing good. And we should, you know, make it known that this is a good fire. And it's also like the largest fire in the nation. So we should probably talk about that, but note to self, don't talk about the past fire in New Mexico. Just remember that. Don't talk about it. Anyway, uh, New Jersey had a 5,000-acre fire as well. Uh, they have it 50% contained, and I'm not going to get into all the costs and details of the wildfires in the United States right now simply because there's not a lot. Like, there's not a lot going on. I'd like to dedicate more of the time of this show to the news that has been coming out and pretty significant news that has been coming out. And also, I want to go through... The audience's responses to a question I posed to them just earlier this week, which was, 
there are 10 standard firefighting orders. And I'll go through those for the listeners who don't know what those are. And, and if, if you're not a wildland firefighter, I'll just quickly rip through those and, and you'll get an understanding of what those are. But the question that I posed was, if there was 11, what would that 11th be if you could make it up? And I'm going to go through everyone's responses. And uh, this is your forewarning right now uh, to every, everyone listening currently. The responses, like some of them, there are some vulgar responses, but I'm going to read them anyway because I know people will find them entertaining. But I'm just letting you know that there might be a few uh, uh, curse words here and there. But I think it's entertaining and I like to engage with the audience. There's a lot of them. So I've read maybe like 12, maybe I've read 12 of them, but I also want to read some of them live because some of them are pretty funny. So I might be going through these and and crack up because I haven't seen the majority of these. So I'm going to go through those first here in this segment, uh, but also the news about the insurance companies in California. So State Farm pulled their insurance's uh, coverage on new homes in California. And now another insurance company has decided that they're no longer going to insure new homes in California. This being Allstate, if you've, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the Allstate commercials. They run them during the Super Bowl and so on and so forth. The fourth largest insurer in the area. They're now saying we're not going to insure new homes in California either. We're going to cover that. Um, And there's some interesting things with that story. Um, It's pretty obvious that this was coming. Um, And like the past fire... I talk about a lot of things in wildfire. Like if it's in the news, I try to talk about it. And usually there's no issues. There's no problems. But there are some subjects that I talk about where I get a lot of pushback. And that's when people start coming out of the woodwork and are like, yo, shut up. You can't talk about that. And then, yeah, and then just like people start making lies up about me and saying that I'm a whack job conspiracy theorist because I'm talking about insurance companies not being able to insure homes in California all the way back in January of 2022. Um, And now it's all coming to fruition. And I have some interesting thoughts on that because it does tie into one of the other things that has brought people out of the woodwork when I talk about it. Uh, And that being this UN wildfire report that came out years ago that no one talked about but was widely read by policymakers and fire managers and people in the international wildland fire community. They've held conferences about this thing. The last International Wildland Firefighter Conference that took place, their main focus was a lot of the points made in this report, which was international cooperation for wildland fire. And we're seeing a lot of this being tested uh, with the response to Canada. We're seeing, you know, Mexico got called, South Africa got called, Australia got called, the United States got called, contractors are being called, private corporations are being called, and it's a large-scale, basically, trial run of international cooperation for these sorts of things. Yes, I know that international cooperation is not something that's new, but this is a large-scale operation that's taking place, moving all these folks and and all these pieces into Canada. But that being said, we're going to talk about Allstate now pulling insurance rates in California and I have, some, I have some personal thoughts on that and opinions on where that's going to go. If you're a longtime listener, maybe you kind of have an idea about that. 
but uh, this has been known. I've been reporting on that. This is coming for over a year and a half now at this point in time. Also, PG&E is in the news. They paid out millions and millions of dollars to settle a lawsuit for the Zog fire that took place. So we'll be talking about that lawsuit. Excuse me. And there is also this prescribed fire in the Willamette National Forest that escaped. There's a write-up on that, and I thought I'd cover that as well. But first, let's dive into everyone's responses for what would be the 11th standard firefighting order if you could make it up. Now, for people who aren't wildland firefighters, uh, if you are a wildland firefighter, just bear with me for a minute and a half. I'm going to run through what the actual standard orders are. And on top of the standard orders, there are also 18 watch-out situations. I'm not going to go through that, but you'll notice in the responses, some people confuse the orders with the watch-outs, so you will be getting some made-up watch-outs as well. But these orders are basically dealing with fire behavior, weather, communication, these sorts of things, and uh, provide you know mindful information if you're ever in a tight spot or you're just wondering you know what should be done at this time so we'll run through them real quick for people who don't know these uh, they are very important in the industry Uh, the first one is keep informed on fire weather conditions and forecasts Two, know what your fire is doing at all times three base all actions on current and expected behavior of the fire so the first three dealing with fire behavior and weather very very important things Number four, identify escape routes and safety zones and make them known. Five, post lookouts when there is possible danger. Six, be alert, keep calm, think clearly, act decisively. That's probably my favorite one. Seven, maintain prompt communications with your forces, your supervisor, and adjoining forces. Eight, give clear instructions and be sure they are understood. That's a pretty close tie for first for me. Number nine, maintain control of your forces at all times. Ten, fight fire aggressively, having provided for safety first. So those are the ten orders. You basically have to memorize those if you are a wildland firefighter. If you haven't memorized them and you are a wildland firefighter, you should uh, take a little time just to do that and commit those to memory. But I asked the audience if they could make up an 11th one, what would it be? And we're going to go through them. And I got to be, it's just, a lot of these are just comical and hilarious. And that's what I expected. I didn't, I didn't expect people to like really try to create like a really hardened new fire order. Uh, And if you are not a wildland firefighter, you know that these sorts of things are often talked about. We often joke about what watch out situations there are. And it just passes time. You know, when you're in the wilderness with your buddies You have to pass the time somehow. So let's just crank through these. I I hope you uh, enjoy them as much as I do. Uh, The first one is wash your hands, don't touch the railing. And 100%, that's uh, been well known, except for in the COVID area where we haven't had fire camps and, and food. But the rumor is they're coming back. And news alert sounds like the salad bar is coming back as well. But you're supposed to not touch the railing when you go get your plate of food because it's well known that you're going to get sick. Uh, Another one, stay hydrated and stop bitching. Just have fun. Okay, yes, all of those things I think are are good. You should have fun. You shouldn't be bitching. And uh, stay hydrated. Uh, Next one is probably a watch out. 
that they confused with uh, the standard firefighting orders, and it says, agency administrators leading a fire program. (laughs) So that's probably more of a watch out, I would think, uh, that they're trying to get there. But uh, I understand where you're going with that. Uh, Another one, patience under pressure, safety under stress. I'll read that again. Patience under pressure, safety under stress. That's actually a pretty good one. I like that one. Um, When you're basically, the way I would dissect that is if you're under pressure, you don't want to make a snap judgment or a judgment that wasn't at least thought about. So patience under pressure and safety under stress. Basically, if you're stressed, don't let the safety go out the window. I like that one. So kudos to that. Uh, Another one is failing to use tying in on a radio transmission. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next, carry enough water, you little bitch. (laughs) Um, So if you're not a wildland firefighter, uh, it kind of is a bad look. Not if you run out of water. Like if you know you drink a lot of water and you're going to run out of water, then you, you... let that be known and you know you try to stage some cube containers of water somewhere up on the mountain and then you can refill but if you are an individual who is consistently running out of water without telling people you're going to run out of water and you know you don't have enough water and you have more carrying capacity uh it's not a good look it's not a good look uh so thank you for that one that's a good contribution next i don't know but I think that Uncrustables in your lunch should be one of the watchouts. Yeah, 100%. If you leave an Uncrustable in your pack for two days, uh, it basically extracts all of the oil and you end up with just a soggy circle of vegetable oil. I can't harp enough on how bad the lunches are. I'm getting pictures from Canada. Man, they feed people well up in Canada. Uh, next Tuesday, actually, we interview an individual who just got back with their crew from Canada and uh, talk about everything that they saw and, and, and heard up there. That's definitely something to tune into. It's a great, great interview. Just throwing that in there. But yeah, Uncrustables. Maybe we should add that to a watch out. Another one says, at the end of the day, someone else's shit is not worth your life or the life of a friend. Yeah, that's true. I think what we are speaking on there is like saving homes. Sticking around in a bad spot during a wildfire because you are, you know, you have this idea of attachment to a home when really it's like, don't risk your life to try to save that thing. We used to say that insurance would just build it back faster than trees. They often say houses grow back faster than trees. Uh, But in California, that might not be the case much longer with uh, these insurance companies stopping insuring houses. But that doesn't take away the point that yes... Someone else's shit is not worth your life. Uh, And don't stay in a bad spot long enough to experience that. Accept the fires that I cannot fight and wisdom to know the difference. That's a pretty good one. And I guess how would that go? I guess experience. Experience would provide a lot of of that. And it's a good piece of advice. How how augured in are you going to get? I am always going to be a proponent for bias for action. Make a plan and act on it. Have a secondary and tertiary plan and be willing to, as this individual said, have the wisdom to know the difference. But I am a fan of action and a bias for action. But definitely accept the fires that I cannot fight and the wisdom to know the difference. 
Another one says, take care of your feet. Yeah, 100%. Totally underrated. People don't have enough socks. People don't wash their feet. I understand there's this dirtbag mentality in the wildland firefighter world. I am also well aware that you don't get a shower. Um, And I was never had a problem with that. It's like, whatever, 14 days without a shower. Yeah, you get itchy and dirty, and it's probably not the best thing for like your skin and your pores. You should at least try to open those up once in a while. I used to just dump a QB over my head at the end of an, at the end of the night, especially if there was a water source and you could easily just get water. But one thing a lot of people don't do is wash their feet. And that's basically where all the bacteria and salt and dirt is going to stay. And you can end up with horrible infections on your feet, swamp foot, other things. And in the industry, they say your feet are your money makers. Uh, next up, don't be a binge drinker. Yeah, that's, that's, Straight up good advice. Have I binge drink in my life? Yeah, absolutely. Especially when I was a hotshot and I would hang out in Puerto Rico. Yeah, for sure. But you learn your lessons and you realize that it's very unhealthy to do those sorts of things. Next up, death from above, aircraft and overhead hazards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whether that's water drops or snags or retardant drops, whatever it is, That's a good one. Stay heads up. An individual says, never get caught without 14 days worth of tobacco or nicotine on you. Yeah, especially if you're the one who consumes tobacco and nicotine. If you don't consume tobacco and nicotine, uh, having 14 days worth of that on you can probably make you a lot of money if uh, other folks run out. The next one is very similar. Make sure you have tobacco or nicotine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You should probably uh, ensure that if that's going to change your mood or you're dependent on it. You should prepare for that. Next, apply all good leadership skills in all aspects of fire management. Yep, that's hard to achieve simply because everyone's human and not everyone's the same. As I like to say, everybody different. But people should try to practice... Uh, skills and good aspects of leadership in all aspects of fire management. Totally agree. Another one says crews on direct attack have priority over usage of aircraft regardless of IC's plans. Interesting. Something must have happened. (laughs) I think something must have happened where this came up. This sort of thing happens all the time. You lose aircraft when you feel like you need it. And if you feel like you need it, you probably do. Are there times where aircraft is used inappropriately, or I guess what I would call inappropriately, and a lot of other people would? Yeah, of course that happens. We call it helimopping and other operations that take place. But this says, crews on direct attack have priority of usage of aircraft regardless of the IC's plans. So it sounds like someone got their aircraft taken away from them, and they weren't too happy about that. Always have zins or chew for your overhead. Is what the next one says. Uh, Yeah, 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 not a bad idea, not a bad idea. The next one is well-known in the industry. It just says, no shitting in the black. And yes, I agree with that. Uh, On large-scale desert fires, that can be difficult. That can be difficult to achieve. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it can be difficult. Um, But yeah, you shouldn't. And for people who aren't wildland firefighters, why is that important? Because when we cold trail fires, and that is basically you go through the wildfire with your hands to look for heat, and then you extinguish that heat, 
if you find it, and that's just so if winds pick up, you don't have little embers flying across your line, even though the fire has basically laid down. So if you dig a hole in the black, which is what we call the burned area of the fire, and someone comes through with their hands to look for heat, uh, and they start rifling around, uh, you can then imagine what the outcome of that would be. Next up, kind of heartfelt, it just says, come home, someone loves you and needs you. Yeah, everyone should try their best to come home. That's the message basically at the end of every critical 80 for a hotshot crew is, hey, we're, our main goal here is just to get everybody home. We want everybody to come home safe. <laughs> the next one says, stop making more lists and making them longer. All right, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry to uh, I'm sorry to participate in making lists longer. <laughs> next up, it says, be quiet after 10 p.m., yeah, sometimes hard to do. If you're coming off the line late, obviously you want to be considerate if you are one of those people. Uh, but yeah, being quiet after 10 is pretty standard and uh, people need their sleep. So that's why that one's being thrown in there. Uh, next up, it says, when your woman asks you to do something, just do it. <laughs> okay, probably another personal experience that took place there. Um uh, my response to that would be compromise is good. You know, compromise is good. Uh, looks like uh, the next one is someone's taking a shot at the new generation. It just says Generation Z is the 19th watch out. Okay. All right. Well, if you feel that way, we should probably try to teach them to not be that. Uh, I would like actually more details on that. I'd like to know why this individual thinks Generation Z or Gen Z is the 19th watch out. Because I can't say I agree or disagree because I don't know the, the specifics of what it is. The next one's actually a pretty good one. It says transition periods in command. So they're referencing when a fire changes command and how that can be, I guess, a watch out. That would be a watch out. But there, there is a lot of that talked about on the fire line. When command teams change on a fire, we basically do consider that a watch out because there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of people coming in who haven't been seeing the fire for the last two weeks. And there's crews and resources that span their tours of duty across these command shifts. So you may be on day seven, but the team is timing out and a new one's coming in. There's a new division. There's a new IC, new communications. And there's this big shuffle during uh, command uh, transfer day. So, yeah, that, that actually is a watch out that, that a lot of people talk about. Uh, next up, simply don't forget the chalk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should. You shouldn't forget the chalk. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be carrying it or you're going to be doing a bunch of uh, burpees. If you don't know, the chalk is what holds the truck from rolling downhill, and there's one individual on the crew, or if you have multiple trucks, three maybe, sometimes four individuals who are responsible for these chalks, and they get forgotten all the time. Uh, next up, if you're not a wildland fire, you won't understand this one, but it's talked about all the time. No rat fucking MREs. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? If you're in the military, you probably know what that means too. So if you don't have meals provided, you have these things called meals ready to eat or MREs, military rations in a bag that's nuclear safe and never expires. So if you go into the MRE box 
and you start picking through it and you start what we would call high grading MREs, that's a no-no. Some crews, it's really not a problem where they don't care. And other crews, it's like, yo, you have to pick at random. Or someone's just tossing them out to people and no one gets to look at what they're getting. My thought on that is it ends up uh, creating a nice social environment because everybody starts trading and bartering back and forth. And that's usually just entertaining. It provides entertainment for everybody. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of people out there who think uh, you shouldn't be able to pick the MRE that you actually want to eat. Uh, So yeah. Uh, Next up, it says, never trust a fat man in a clean yellow. Okay, what if it's a fat man in a dirty yellow? Can we can we trust can we trust him then? Um, again, there's a, there's a stereotype in the industry about clean yellows, and uh, if you have a clean yellow on, it basically shows that you don't do any work and that you're new to the fire line. If your yellow blows out and the sleeves rip and and the back rips, or you have a tear in the back of your yellow and your buddy or overhead walks up and then just rips your yellow off your back, which happens all the time, um, you put a clean yellow on. And either you rock it and you think it's funny and everybody else thinks it's funny, or you go to a dirt road or into the black and you start rubbing ash all over your clean shirt so people don't think that uh, you don't do any work. Uh, next up, fight fire aggressively, having provided for LaCroix first. <laughs> so make sure you have bubbly cans on you at all times. Otherwise, uh, you might not be able to fight fire aggressively if you don't got a bubbly. One is never depend on fire shelters for protection. Yeah, Absolutely. I've written about this. I've done polls on it, and it's split. I did a poll that asked if it was your choice to carry a fire shelter or not. It was 50-50 split. 50% said they wouldn't carry it, and 50% said they would. And uh, a lot of them were for this reason exactly, because they felt as though they didn't depend on their fire shelter for protection. That being said, I've interviewed people on the podcast before who have rode out a burnover in a fire shelter and they quite literally would be dead if they didn't have their fire shelter and they weren't in a bad spot initially. The wind just the wind just shifted and uh, they ended up getting caught in a bad spot uh, that wasn't previously. Another one says don't be a bagger. Yeah. Those are just people who when the shift is over, instead of doing work, they jump inside of the truck and start eating snacks and making a protein shake and checking their phone and whatever they do in there. Um, that's a bagger, and no one likes that. Hey, how to not be a bagger? Pretty easy. Just do the duties that are necessary to do, and that's a lot of do's and duties, but to do them... And uh, ask people if they need help. And then ultimately, if everybody's like, nah, I'm good, then then at that point in time, it's like, yeah, now, now you, you got some chill time. You got some chill time now. One just says, any tree can kill you, 100%. There was a fella that talked to Lone Peak Hotshots. I know he's talked to other hotshot crews as well. I believe he's passed now. But he worked out on the East Coast, and he would go around and talk to crews and talk about the dangers of 
falling trees and other things. And uh, it was like a 10-inch DBH tree broke his neck and paralyzed him. It was a small tree. Um, so, yeah, that that is always important to remember. One says, put your food in bear-proof containers. Yeah, it depends where you are, but th- usually the fire will provide those. But otherwise, yeah, bears will visit you. The, here's the story. You guys, I'm already 30 minutes into this podcast, but this is a hilarious story. We were in Idaho, near McCall, on this fire. And a lot of things happened on that fire, actually. But dealing with bears, I was the heck of on the crew, so I was told to go sling in the gear and have the gear come in where we were spiking out. Uh, if I remember correctly, I brought Ty Murchison with me, who ended up being a, a Boise jumper. And... Uh, so the helicopter comes in. It was a little bit windy. This helicopter pilot wrapped our sling load around a tree. And it was like one or two rotations around this tree. And I was just, I just got on the radio and was like, punch the load, punch the load, get rid of it, get rid of it. And this was an old guy. And he's just, oh, no, I, I'll figure it out. <laughs> okay, okay, dude. Uh, so we backed up a little bit. And uh, he did. He actually got the the long line untangled from the tree and then set our gear down and took off. Anyway, so we unloaded our bags and then we hiked back to the crew. But when we came back to our PG bags, they were all pulled apart. And the first thing the supervisor said to me, the superintendent was like, dude, why did you shotgun everybody's bags around? Like, you know, we're supposed to stack these things nice and neat. I was like, I did. I, I, I did do that. I don't know what's going on here. Someone went through our stuff and we walked up and we thought maybe it was like another crew who would like, as a joke, maybe like it rifled through our stuff. But then one individual found their bag off into the woods. And then we realized who the culprit was on top of their PG bag was just a giant berry filled orange bear shit. And it had covered his entire PG bag. And, uh, it was the kid on the crew that I always got like messed with and fooled around with. So it just made it all the more funny. It was amazing. Uh, but also on that fire, an individual got bit by a bear in his sleeping bag. The rumor is he had toothpaste or like a Snickers bar in his pocket, but he woke up to a bear biting his leg, trying to get after whatever was in there. So yeah, long story short, bear, uh, bear barrels are pretty, uh, good things to have around. One says, take care of your guys and gals and don't be an asshole. Yep, that's pretty straightforward. There, there are, people are assholes. I, I often say I'm the nicest asshole anybody knows, but uh, it is. You should try to not be that to other people. It's important to remember that humans are humans, and uh, that's that. One says, always kiss the wife goodbye. 100%. Why would you not do that? Even if you're fighting, it's like, baby, I just want to kiss before I leave. Please, please. This one is a good one, and I was wondering if someone would ever mention it. And that says, stand by to stand by. Classic. You're always told to stand by, and then you think something's going to happen, and then you're told to stand by. And then you move, and then you're told to stand by. And then you stand by some more. So yeah, stand by to stand by should probably be on there. What? <laughs> This one says, only blast heaters in the blue room before morning briefing. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Uh, Yeah, yeah. 
Only blast heaters in the blue room before morning briefing. Straight up. Any other time is not the time to do that. One says, identify who has nicotine and make it known. Uh, if you haven't caught on, uh, wildland firefighters are heavily addicted to nicotine. Here's one that may be disputed. Here's maybe a disputed one. We already talked about not, you know, digging a hole and taking a crap in the black, but this says don't pee in the black. Is that controversial? Are we allowed to pee in the black? I know I have multiple times. I've never I've never dug a hole in the black, but I've definitely peed in the black before. Anybody? Does anybody have an opinion on that one? <laughs> one says, don't make us do push-ups when we forget a watch out. Well, I've done plenty of push-ups for forgetting watch outs. And I it was always a crew thing. Um yeah, it was always a crew thing. It was take out your IRPG, and if someone on the crew didn't have their IRPG, we would do a lot of pack push-ups. That's why it's good to remember the watch-outs. They want you to remember them. And push-ups aren't bad for you. Come on. Push-ups aren't bad for you. There's actually, I just scrolled here for a little bit. There's a lot of don't trust someone in a clean Nomex. There's there's a lot of people <laughs> expressing that opinion. One says, don't complain. We all know it sucks. Bring people up. Embrace the suck together. Yep. One of the rules that I've heard as well is bitch up, don't bitch down, meaning don't bitch to your subordinates as well. Um, It's hard to not like make sarcastic jokes about your situation when you're in the wildland fire world, and that can be construed as like complaining. I understand that. I also understand that there's a difference. However, there is also the fact that you make so many sarcastic jokes that it then starts sounding like complaining and that just wears on people after a while. And yeah, everyone should embrace the suck together. You're there as a team. I think that's great. The conversation on Tuesday on Substack that we talk about this. Be in shape. If not, you're a hazard to everybody. Yes, there's a lot of truth to that statement. Liquor rations keep the boys sane. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that one. Um, I've told the story before on the podcast. I've had overhead ask me if I keep liquor to to help me go to sleep at night. That one always shocked me a little bit when I heard that. I was like, what? What, what? do people do that? Uh, don't forget to show a lunch. Classic. Don't piss off the finance section. Yep. Sometimes nearly impossible if you're actually just trying to get hours. But hey, shout out finance uh, people. We all know you got nothing but paperwork all the time, and that's the last thing we want to do. So thank you for doing that. But, you know, we're not trying to piss you off. We're just, uh, we haven't seen humans in days and days. So when we walk into your office and see you, um, oftentimes it's the first time we've seen anybody in a while. MRE should only be eaten on the fire line only. Okay, are you saying that we shouldn't eat MREs for... Like at home, maybe like on project, maybe that's what you're saying. Don't eat MREs on project. Uh, I would agree with that just because if you're trying to save money by not bringing a lunch on project, I get it. But man, you can put together a pretty cheap lunch and not have to eat an MRE. And lastly is don't be last. I have a couple comments on this one. I've talked to a lot of people about this, uh, a lot of hotshots, smoke jumpers, and just people in the fire world, especially new people. They're like, I just don't want to be last. I don't want to be last. You're correct. (laughs) 
you don't want to be last. But really what it comes down to is you don't want to be last at two things, okay? Because someone has to be last at something, right? Someone has to be last. But you don't want to be last at two things. So if you're the last one on the hike, you don't want to be the last one on the run. Or you don't want to be the last one back to the buggies at a store stop. You know what I mean? Or if you're last on the run, you don't want to be last on the hike. Or you don't want to be last to get your stuff ready in the morning when it's time to line out. Don't be last at two things. But yeah, the mentality is don't be last. But hey, the reality is someone has to be last. That's just the way it is. And everyone, I think, realizes that. But it becomes very noticeable if you're last at two things. That's when people are like, oh, okay, man, you you sure are coming in last a lot. And that's a hard spot to be in. But people notice. This, this is the culture. People notice this stuff. And, and like the one said before, fitness is, is, or the lack of fitness can be a liability as well. So that's just the industry in the world that, that everybody's in. Hey, thanks for everybody's suggestions. Uh, there was a lot more than I thought there was going to be. We're 45 minutes almost into this podcast, but hopefully people were entertained. I sure was. And, uh, hopefully I'll be doing more of those because you guys provide a lot of comic relief when, uh, I ask these sorts of things, which is greatly appreciated. At this time, we'll thank all the paid Substack subscribers. None of this would be possible without you. All the firefighter donations, the giveaways, uh, access to all of our archives, the Tuesday and Wednesday Substack podcasts you get uh, as well if you're a paid Substack subscriber. We don't have any sponsorships. We're 100% ad-free. I'm not against having sponsorships or ads, uh, but at this point in time, I haven't really had anybody step forward. And uh, I've asked a couple people if they would be interested and... um, they weren't, and I I understand. I sometimes go off the beaten path when I talk about things, and I don't stick to the standard, strict narrative that uh, a lot of people stick to and, and do have sponsorships. So that's why I have to thank all of the Substack subscribers. If you're a free subscriber, which we're at 9,000 now, which is ridiculous, uh, the article on the Pacifier got, this morning it was at 14,000 reads. Okay, that's where we're at. I'm a one-man operation. I don't have anybody else helping me. And uh, I really thank those who who do provide the $6 a month to keep this operation going. If you want to be a paid Substack subscriber, just go to thehotshotwakeup.substack.com. Click on the subscribe button, and that helps continue this on and supports everything that I do year-round. I have traveled this year over all the United States. Through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains, the Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras. I have traveled. So I'm going to try to cram a bunch of news in here in this segment. Uh, All that I think is very important and should be talked about, uh, but I don't want this to turn into a two hour long podcast. So we'll, we'll talk about this and uh, you know, I'll give my, my opinion on it. And a lot of it is again, stuff that we saw was coming and uh, what we're going to cover first is just something that also just happens sometimes. So we'll dive into that first. It's this prescribed burn that escaped on the Willamette national forest out in Oregon 
And uh, some details were provided just yesterday on what actually happened. This was in Lane County. And um, this is from KPIC News out in Oregon saying prescribed burn on McKenzie River Ranger District has been declared a wildfire. It says an update from the U.S. Forest Service confirms that on Tuesday, May 31st of this year, when crews were conducting a prescribed burn on the McKenzie River Ranger District to reduce fuels, the fire moved onto National Forest land outside the burn unit's perimeter. Officials say that weather and fuels were within parameters identified in the approved burn plan. However, gusty winds led to two spot fires adjacent to the 65-acre burn unit, and firefighters immediately repositioned to suppress those. According to the U.S. Forest Service, the total burn area is estimated to be 120 acres and is located on a steep slope approximately two miles northeast of the McKenzie River Ranger Station and north of Highway 126. The Forest Service says the burn plan included contingencies in case of such an escape. The fire was declared a wildfire, enabling the deployment of additional personnel and resources to contain the spread. 34 wildfires worked to suppress the fire through the night. Additional resources were called, and three hand crews are en route. It continues saying reducing fuels can be achieved through various treatments, including thinning and prescribed burns, and is an essential part in reducing wildfire risk to nearby communities. Yeah, These efforts also build resiliency into forest stands for eventual fire starts from lightning and other causes. United States Forest Service is warning residents and visitors in the McKenzie River corridor that they may see or smell some smoke. Officials say that warming temperatures through the day should lift any smoke that settled in the McKenzie River corridor overnight. So, they had a 65-acre prescribed burn that was planned, and it basically doubled in size when some spot fires got out and it and it kind of kicked around. I saw footage of this burn, and it was in steep ground, and it was pretty mellow. And I didn't get footage of the wildfire after it was declared a wildfire. I got footage of when it was a prescribed fire. And it looked good, and I've talked to a few people who have been on that fire, and their story matches the story that's officially being put out there, which is the burn was going good, and then the wind switched, and the wind came up, and we caught some spot fires, and ultimately it blew out. And if you're bringing in three hand crews, you know that you have to suppress that thing, because three hand crews on 120 acres, you can squash that pretty quick. Didn't get a huge splash in the media, and... You can kind of understand why there was this escape fire in Oregon last year. It caused a bunch of problems. And then there's this one. Of course, there was a burn boss arrested last year. That was a big deal. Seems like they're kind of figuring that one out at this point in time. But that's probably why it's not getting a lot of coverage and people aren't talking about it because it's kind of a big deal in that area and in that region where there is a massive distrust of federal government officials uh, in that community for a number of reasons. It goes back to the standoff that took place up there and then individuals were shot. You know, it was it was a mess, like the whole thing. This was up by John Day and other places in Oregon. And uh, you can understand why people are on edge and also why government officials don't want to make a huge splash about this sort of thing happening. It doesn't really sound like it was that big of a deal. It, it got out, and it sounds like they caught it. Obviously, if they didn't catch it, it would be a bigger deal. But figured I'd cover that. There's not a lot going on. People were sending me the articles and telling me to cover it. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think those sorts of things are good to highlight. 
Next up, it's another insurance company that has decided they're not going to insure new homes in California. This is out of the San Francisco Chronicle. It was written by Claire Howe, I believe you pronounce it. And uh, this just tags on to State Farm Insurance, who last week said they are not going to insure new homes either. Now, when I initially started talking about this a year and a half ago, I was told I was a conspiracy theorist and it would never happen. Okay? Turns out that's not the case, and uh, actually it happened. Um, So that is what it is. And, of course, if you're a longtime listener, you know why I was saying that. There are international UN wildfire reports saying that this was going to take place, that you need to reduce population in wildland-urban interface areas, and then there were these wildfire hearings that took place just a couple months ago in D.C., where these real estate professionals, think tanks from California universities, hedge funds, and others were having these conversations about what's going to happen in California. And they straight up said, people are going to lose insurance for their homes. So my guess is these folks knew it was coming. Um, They had inside information. These insurance companies were like, hey, we don't know exactly when we're going to do this, but we're going to pull insurance coverage in California and we're going to blame it on wildfire. So that's how I knew it was coming. It's because very prominent people in these industries were telling Congress, hey, you should probably prepare for this. It's coming. And then they said it's going to affect poor people and only rich people are going to be able to live in rural areas. All the poor people are going to be pushed out into apartment buildings in the cities And there's going to be this huge flux of real estate that takes place in California over the next decade. And from the news, it turns out that they were spot on. Looks like that's going to happen. And you can start going down rabbit holes of conspiracy theories and say, well, why is this happening? These are massive insurance companies. It doesn't really make sense. Um... And it's probably going to happen in Oregon. There's lawsuits up there that are taking place. And I've, I've often predicted that it's going to spread through the Western United States. But it's massive. Insurance companies in California are now pulling out. We'll quickly go through this article. It says, Allstate has stopped writing new homeowner, condominium, and commercial insurance policies in California. That's insane, people. That's insane. The insurer, the fourth largest pause new policies so we can continue to protect our current customers. The pause began last year, but appeared to receive only a passing mention in industry publications. Very interesting. The Chronicle learned of the development this week, so they kept it really, really quiet. It was learned that this took place after reviewing an all-state rate increase request to the California Department of Insurance. Okay, so even the California Department of Insurance wasn't like making this known, which isn't surprising because they set up an insurance plan through the state. So they are actually getting more revenue the more these insurance companies pull out. That's an interesting angle to think about. It says it's not immediately clear what prompted all states pullback on new policies, but State Farm, the largest provider of property and casualty insurance in California, made waves in late May announcing it would stop issuing new homeowner policies in the state due to wildfires and inflation. That's insane, people. It's crazy that this is just tumbling down now. It's also wild that uh, this was all openly admitted well over a year ago that this was coming. 
It says, Allstate quietly did the same thing last year, signals that insurance woes in the state may be more severe than is the public is aware of. I tried to make the public aware, so did people in Congress, um, but like I said at the beginning of the podcast, there's certain things that I talk about where it's noticeable that people are take notice and they're like, yo, homeboy's talking about this. We should we should try to diffuse and deflect as much as we can. Uh, and those things were this, when I talked about insurance, uh, when I talk about the UN wildfire paper, that there was a lot that came out when I started talking about that. Uh, the vaccine exemptions, when I started telling people how to file for exemptions for the mandates, that's I received an incredible amount of blowback for that. I think since then, though, people have started to realize that, uh, yeah, maybe I should have gotten an exemption. Um, so I got a lot of blowback from that. <laughs> Most recently, this pass fire, I talked about the pass fire, and boy, oh boy, did people come out of the woodwork when I started talking about this 18,000 acre fire in New Mexico. There was a lot of people who didn't like that. So yeah, it's it's obvious sometimes when I talk about things, which are the things I'm not supposed to talk about. It's fascinating, really. It's actually kind of turned into like a little game for me. Like, oh, I'll talk about this and let's see what happens. This article continues saying State Farm is unusual in that it announces such underwriting actions. It is not required by law for insurers to do this. The only public disclosure required of insurers pulling back eligibility in the state comes when they ask California Department of Insurance for rate increases. So these insurance companies in California can stop insuring homes, not tell anybody, but if they want to increase rates, they have to make it known to the state insurance commission. And again, California started a program where they provide insurance for when insurance companies won't insure your home. It's There's an interesting angle there. That's all I'll say. It says at least two other insurers, AIG and Chubb, which cater to higher-end homes, have pulled coverage for some customers in recent years. So it sounds like they're all pulling out. They're all, they're all backing out of these policies, especially for new homes. It says homeowners in high-risk fire areas may have a harder time finding coverage, leading to more usage of the FAIR plan, a state-offered insurer of last resort meant as a temporary safety net that covers only fire insurance and generally costs more than other plans. Okay? So Allstate and State Farm, massive insurance companies, pull out of California because of wildfire and inflation. Then you're forced to go to the state for their FAIR plan, but it costs more money and it only covers wildfire. So they are making the cost of living in rural areas more expensive, pulling your insurance. If you want to buy a home, if it's uninsured, it has to be a cash deal um, because otherwise banks don't want to be on the line if you can't get insurance for it. And the state is making money off of these insurance companies pulling out of insurance plans because of wildfire. I'm not saying there's something fishy going on, but I'm saying there might be, you know, there might be. It's just a curious situation. And again, I'm not blown away because this was obviously coming because highly read and distributed plans, international plans discuss this and very qualified real estate hedge fund and think tank people 
We're like, hey, we just want to let you know that the real estate market in rural areas in California is going to collapse because insurance companies are going to stop insuring houses out there. Very interesting uh, developments. Obviously, we'll keep an eye on it and uh, see where it goes. Lastly, we're going to talk about the Zog fire that took place in 2020 and the settlement that was made with PG&E. I've covered a lot of uh, PG&E events over the last year or so, talking about the Mosquito Fire, their involvement there. They had a power pole confiscated, and that turned into a big deal. And then all these other fires that they had litigation over, and have they've been settling a lot of these cases over and over and over. So this just took place this week. Out of the Associated Press, it says a California judge on Wednesday dismissed all charges against Pacific Gas and Electric in connection to a 2020 fatal wildfire that was sparked by its equipment and destroyed hundreds of homes and killing four people. The utility reached a $50 million settlement agreement with the Shasta County District Attorney Office, which they both announced in separate statements. In 2021, state fire investigators concluded the fire was sparked by a gray pine tree that fell onto the PG&E distribution line. Shasta and Tehama counties sued the utility alleging negligence. They said PG&E failed to remove the tree even though it had been marked for removal two years earlier, and the utility says that the tree was subsequently cleared away. There was a report that came out a few months ago. I don't think I covered it. It was in, it was in my bookmark folder. But it was discussing these trees next to power lines that PG&E said they were going to cut down but never did. And a local California news station went out and talked to homeowners. And basically, the contractors contracted contractors who then subcontracted the work. And the work wasn't getting done or it was getting done poorly. And crews were just topping these trees but leaving them around the power lines. Or they would fell these trees and not buck them up and clear them. They would just be trees laying around everywhere, dead trees laying around. And it was a mess. Like, it was a gigantic mess. I'll see if I can't find that article and maybe share it, but they talk about exactly this, and it was covered locally a few months back. Continuing, Shasta Superior Court Judge Daniel Flynn disagreed with PG&E being criminally liable. And in a tentative ruling ahead of a hearing Wednesday, said prosecutors did not present enough evidence to show PG&E engaged in criminal conduct, according to the Sacramento Bee, which originally obtained the copy of the ruling. The tree was not a known risk prior to the Zog fire, and there is no evidence to support the people's claim in their opposition that it was, the judge wrote. That's an interesting statement. They have a lot of lines, thousands and thousands of miles of lines, so... I guess it is realistic that they didn't know about this one tree that was dead next to a power line. That, I guess that is pretty easy to argue. The utility said in a statement that under the agreement with Shasta County, which it's subject to court approval, it will fund $45 million in contributions to organizations dedicated to rebuilding and assisting local communities. The company will also pay a $5 million civil penalty to the county. The prosecutor said her goal was always to take PG&E to trial and hold them criminally responsible, but that Flynn's tentative ruling changed her position and she agreed to all settlements that included dropping all charges. 
Just last week, the California Public Utilities Commission approved a $150 million settlement between Pacific Gas and Electric Company and the CPUC's Safety and Enforcement Division over PG&E's role in the Zog fire. As part of the agreement, the utility will pay $10 million to California's general fund and invest $140 million in shareholder funds into new wildfire mitigation efforts. Okay, so that's also very, very fascinating that that ended up taking place. What it comes down to is PG&E, I believe, will continue to get sued as long as there's wildfires next to their power lines in California. It seems like they pay out a couple tens of millions of dollars every time it happens. Yes, they have a lot of lawyer fees as well. But to be completely frank, they have California by the balls. And if you bankrupt this company, you basically go without power in California. They have positioned themselves well in their eyes when it comes to maintaining a business and running a business while, you know, still causing wildfires due to their infrastructure. There's another article that I was going to cover dealing with this as well, where PG&E was supposed to bury a certain amount of power lines by the end of this year. They didn't even reach half of that, or it was last year, and they didn't even reach half of that in the time allotted. And they put out a statement saying that it just cost too much money and it wasn't good for shareholders, which is true. You know, those are true statements. It does cost a lot of money to bury power lines and it is not good for shareholders. So it, I'll give them at least props for telling the truth on, on why they didn't do it. Uh, but they had committed to doing it and ultimately didn't reach that goal. Make sure to tune in next Tuesday. Great interview coming up. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to enjoy this conversation and that's going to take place on Substack. If you want to listen to that, all you got to do is become a Substack subscriber. You go to thehotshotwakeup.substack.com, click on the subscribe button, just $6. Not only do you get those extra podcasts, extra articles, access to the archives, workouts, and everything else that comes with it, you also support everything that I do and continue to make these podcasts, write the articles daily, and provide all the information that I do on the social media accounts as well. It's a one-man show, just me, and I really, really appreciate the support. On that note, reach out to someone you haven't talked to in a while. Kiss your wife or husband or girlfriend or boyfriend before you go out to a wildfire. I think that's important. Tell them that you love them. See how everybody's doing. Get outside, stretch, hydrate, eat those quality calories because those are the ones that count Get the rest that you need, but when you get up, you got to get it done.